0: Good evening, it is 7pm and you are listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX Mendocino County's Public and Community Radio. Well good evening and welcome to this evening's Ecology Hour. Have you been out today? Perhaps you've spotted a wildflower, a bird or a beetle and you wondered what it was? Well you're not alone, And Mendocino County has just been part of an exciting international effort to record nature sightings or observations in the City Nature Challenge. Now, this event is a kind of bio blitz where everyone from families to scientists come together to make nature observations over a set period of time in a set place. It's like a huge party for nature nerds. So as you can imagine, I wanted to share some of this on the Ecology Hour this evening. We're going to learn a little more about bio blitzes and the City Nature Challenge during tonight's show with folks from across the county who've been involved in this effort. And although the observation period um, has just finished, it was April 30th through May 3rd, you can still get involved by taking a look at all the fabulous plants and creatures that people have found and helping to identify the photographs if you feel up to it. Now, this is done on an awesome free online app called iNaturalist. So that's the letter I, naturalist. You just log in and search for the City Nature Challenge 2021 Mendocino County. And you're going to see when you do that amazing pictures of all of the observations that people have made over the past weekend. You're going to see 1,644 observations that were made. Way to go, Mendocino. And that's 674 different species that people saw just this weekend in Mendocino County. There were 113 observers, so that's different people who made observations, and 159 people who helped out by identifying on the app to try and see what people's pictures were of. So let's get started on this celebration of Mendocino biodiversity with Brooke Gamble from the California Naturalist Program. I started by asking Brooke about the California Naturalist Program and her role within it.
1: Yeah, hi Hannah, thanks for hosting me today. I am the Community Education Specialist for the North Coast California Naturalist Program. Uh, I work statewide, but I help represent uh, Sonoma County, Marin County, uh, Mendocino County, Humboldt County in delivering the California Naturalist Program through organizations like the Hopland Research and Extension Center. Uh, Down in Sonoma County, we partner with Pepperwood, uh, Stewards of the Coast and Redwoods, Sonoma Ecology Center, uh, further south, Point Reyes National Seashore Association, and SPAWN. So I help deliver, I help the people who deliver those programs uh, to get ready to to open their doors to nature education for adults, which is a different kind of nature education than a lot of organizations participate in. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, folks, you know, sort of self select. Maybe they're retired and they never had an opportunity to learn about the nature around them. Maybe they're young professionals or in a community college situation and they want to learn more or maybe go into this as a career. Uh, we sort of give this 10,000 foot overview of ecology in California and introduce people to participatory science and nature journaling and the whys and hows of uh, being a good steward of our land in California.
0: Awesome. Um, So I know we're going to talk about a few different programs and things today. One of them is the California Naturalist Program for which you work and that awesome learning opportunity that you've just explained. And there's one word I want to draw out of that to get us started, and that is participatory science. Can you Give us the most easy to understand um, description of what does participatory science
2: mean?
1: So participatory science is just a really big word. It has a lot of synonyms. You may have heard of citizen science or community science or public participation in scientific research, PPSR, and basically all of those things encompass people going out making observations or collecting data on behalf of scientific projects and You know, our scientists are overloaded, underfunded, can't be the boots on the ground and the eyes in the sky all the time. But the rest of us are out there and we're taking pictures, we're taking measurements, we're making observations. And why not put those to good use? So participatory science is just an umbrella word for helping out scientists in lots of different ways. So creek Creek monitoring, you know, monitoring water quality, uh, monitoring wildlife in your area, looking at when plants are blooming. We also call that phenology. Um, those are just a few examples of things. Feeder watch programs with Cornell. Those are just a few things that, that people do to help out scientists uh, so that we, you know, have a better understanding of our world and have a better understanding of how our world is changing because there's a lot of change going on right now. Um, locally, there's been a lot of participatory science uh, focused on fires and fire recovery and the regeneration uh, of our plants and animals and Um, and how that has changed the landscape that we live in. So it's really important that we track those things. I think, um, you know, a long time ago people were a lot more in touch with that kind of stuff. They lived closer to the land. Uh, We've learned a lot from the native people that inhabit this place and have been at, you know, their ancestors. Um, But maybe where a lot of us are a little more out of touch. So participatory science is a way to get everybody in touch. We all have something to contribute.
0: So I, I I love what you just finished off with there, saying we all have something to contribute. But I remember when I was first hearing that kind of term, I always felt a little bit daunted because I felt like, well, I'm not really a scientist. You know, I don't feel am I qualified to be involved? Um, and I know you've just express, expressed that a little bit. But for those of us who are thinking, well, that's not for me because I'm just not a scientist.
1: Is it something we could get involved in? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, we host a website, or we host a page on our website um, in the California Naturals Program that lists hundreds of projects that you can get involved in, um, from just setting up really simple weather monitoring equipment in your backyard and, you know, sending in daily rainfall totals, which, you know, right now is um, (laughs) fairly nil, (laughs) uh, to, you know, watching your backyard feeder, to, you know... Uh, There's just all kinds of ways that people can get involved. And it really depends on your passion and your skill set. You know, maybe you like recording things. Maybe you like taking pictures. Um, There's kind of something for everyone. And there's, you know, there's different levels of training. There's uh, things that UC does to help us, you know, track sudden oak death in the county. And they have a training day. And you go to the training day and you learn how to collect samples. And then you turn your samples in. So some of these programs are a little bit more... Um, training oriented and require a little bit more expertise and some of them are just as simple as downloading images on your cell phone like the City Nature Challenge.
0: Awesome so that brings us right to what I know we really want to check in about today because we are um, we're recording here on Monday and the show is going to be going out tomorrow Tuesday. Um, we're right at the end of the observation period for the Mendocino County um, layer of the City Nature Challenge and this is kind of is part of that participatory science this is people getting involved making observations can you tell us a little bit more about the background of the city nature challenge and what we're all trying to be involved in as part of this
1: So, the City Nature Challenge started in 2016, and it was actually a competition between longtime rivals Los Angeles and San Francisco. And it's the uh, Cal Academy of Sciences in San Francisco and the LA Natural History Museum, two absolutely fantastic uh, science institutions in their uh, relative regions. And so, they decided that they were going to use the iNaturalist platform, which is a really simple app where you just upload a picture of any kind of nature that you see. Um, You send that picture into the universe. And if you know what the idea is, great. And if you don't, someone will help you ID your picture. Um, It's a plant or an animal or a mollusk or, you know, anything that's alive uh, goes for this database. And basically, they decided to use this app and see who could find the most nature in their urban areas. And the first year, about a thousand people participated. And I can't tell you who won. I don't actually remember. Um, But in subsequent years, it's just exploded in popularity. Uh, And fast forward to 2021, where a lot of the world is still kind of on lockdown, uh, we're still able to find nature in our backyards. And over 400 different areas, counties, cities uh, have signed on to have a city nature challenge in their area. Um, Over 43 countries I believe is the country count this year are involved. Uh, It's in you know dozens of languages and uh, open to you know like a hundred thousand people and it's one of these really inspirational events it really embraces the healing power of nature Um, and it celebrates these tens of thousands of people that are coming together all around the world At one time period, so that's a bio blitz when you all come together at one time period and you record nature um, and they're recording nature for the city nature challenge. So here in Mendocino County, um, obviously, we don't really identify as a city or have any large um, metropolitan areas, but we have decided Uh, to come together as a community and offer the City Nature Challenge, and we've had great participation. It started last year um, on the coast with the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens. They hosted the first City Nature Challenge for Mendocino County, and this year it's expanded um, to be a countywide event, and uh, to date, we have had this observation period of three days where everyone takes their observations in Mendocino County and uploads them to the platform iNaturalist. And we've had 101 observers uh, who have so found... So that means, the observers means... Yeah, the observers mean the people that are uh, have iNaturalist downloaded and they are uploading pictures all around the county. So they're taking pictures of a Stellar's Day in their backyard or they're taking pictures of a of a plant they haven't seen before and they're uploading it into the universe and people are you know pinging back with what it is or verifying that that observation and so in mendocino county we've already found 605 species starting friday uh today is monday um and made 1544 observations so So those are the individual Yeah, the individual contributions of things that people have seen. So that's pretty exciting for Mendocino County. We're a pretty small area, but we're really diverse. We have a lot of animals, endemic animals that only live here. We have a lot of um, California native plants and animals, and we have a lot of different uh, habitats to go out in. So, you know, we had some really low tides this weekend. I know a lot of people on the coast went tide pooling, um, up in the higher elevations. We have some beautiful flowers that are still blooming and then everything in between, um, from your backyard, um, I, you know, I've, I have I naturalized things in my closet, you know, when I find a spider in my shower or this year, actually, I found 14 frogs in my shower. So that was kind of exciting. I, I, I naturalized all those. They didn't make it into the City Nature Challenge. Um, but people have come together for this uh, global period of observation. Um, so I love that you've
0: expressed. Uh, it makes me really proud to live in Mendocino County to just oh yeah. hear about that biodiversity that we have here and i know that you yourself through the city nature challenge have actually been making recordings observations from the shoreline and the um the tide pools there all the way up to a few thousand feet at least right on the site here at the hopland research and extension center um do you want to tell us about some of the things you've really enjoyed observing have you got a favorite observation or something you got a kick out of when
1: you were making your observations over the weekend well, I started out at the coast and we had this wonderful minus tide on, was that Saturday? I guess that was Saturday. And I just love tide pooling. It feels like a treasure hunt to me. You never know what's going to be there and what's not. And I had the pleasure of seeing several red abalone, which made me really happy. We all know that abalone season is closed and that's a big part of, um, you know, a lot of people's heritage in this County, but it was, really nice to see some red abalone in the tide pools. Um, I also saw uh, a lot of beautiful sea anemones and lots and lots of crabs, so that Mm -hmm. was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I went up to the pygmy forest and there was a lot of things still in bloom in the pygmy forest. That's a really special area for us here. Um, Very strange soils, so everything grows very small in the pygmy forest. Um, out on the headlands lots of things were blooming and I had the pleasure of seeing a peregrine fal- falcon out on one of the points in the headlands so that was kind of exciting um yeah and then I came inland and I just I love it here this time of year the birds are singing and um, you know there's lots of flowers in bloom right here at the Hopland Research and Extension Center so I just kind of you know headed out on foot and saw what I could see all day Sunday and had, had a really good time um I guess one of my favorite things to do annually is to set up a moth light. So I have a a really simple UV light on my front porch and that chums in a lot of different uh, moths and other insects, lots of beetles and and different things. Right now we have a really big mayfly explosion and so um, lots of those have been coming in. So yeah, I just, I get excited about this. I love that this is for all experience levels I love that this is for all people that are nature curious. I love that you don't have to have any special knowledge to participate in the City Nature Challenge or to use the iNaturalist app year round. Um, you really don't have to have know anything um, other than how to work uh, a camera. So
0: for folks who are thinking, well, I know how to take a picture, but I,
1: I don't know how I would identify
0: something. There is something rather special about this app that I know I really enjoy. Do you want to share with us the the wonderful suggestions feature.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I preach to iNaturalist because it's really expanded my knowledge of nature. Uh, Basically, you download the app and it takes you through a a series of steps. So you take a picture and then you upload the picture. And then this brilliant screen comes up uh, that has you um, deciding what is in your picture. And maybe you already know, and that's fine. You can type that right in. But if you don't know, it has this incredible artificial intelligence and that will give you suggestions for things that will that have been seen nearby that look like the thing that you uploaded. So, you know, if it looks like a Stellar's Jay, um, that will probably be the first thing, the first suggestion it makes. Uh, and it's it's really nice because it's not going to suggest things from the East Coast or from Southern California. Uh, iNaturalist was built here in the Bay Area uh, by some developers. Uh, that are you know eventually moved over to the california academy of sciences Um, and now actually they partner with national geographic and i'm not sure who else it's gotten very big um but the that means the artificial intelligence is really good because Mm -hmm. all of the development was done here all of the testing was done here and so they have a lot of local plants and animals Mm -hmm. and um Yeah, it's really gratifying. If you don't know what something is, it usually has a pretty good suggestion. Mm. And if you make that suggestion and you're wrong, someone usually picks up on that pretty quickly too. So um, it's really a social app for nature nerds. Um, You share stuff and people say yes or no, and they celebrate it together. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So you also
0: reflected all this biodiversity we have in Mendocino County. And so in You've taken a key role in organizing um, the Mendocino County City Nature Challenge and bring together different groups in the county who are running an event or encouraging people to get out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of those partners that came together um, for this City Nature Challenge?
1: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I always kind of had a vision of all of these incredible nature and conservation-minded um organizations coming together to offer the City Nature Challenge um, and by that I just mean promoting information to you know their constituents, their newsletters, on social media, um, maybe hosting events. We had some light events this year, some sort of um, self-guided events that were that were safe for people to attend. Uh, but it was neat. It was a little bit of a last minute push so we hope to get more people involved next year, but um, I'm going to rattle off the people that showed up this year and offered the City Nature Challenge through their organization. I think it's fantastic that, you know, we had a lot of people from the inland and a lot of people from the coast and a lot of folks that I hadn't had the opportunity to meet before and I really enjoyed working with. Um, So in no particular order, um, I'll start with the Hopland Research and Extension Center. You, Hannah, um, we've collaborated a lot on on different um, different Education offerings: uh, California Naturalist Program, uh, who I work for, the Anderson Valley Land Trust, the Grace Hudson Museum and Sun House, the Mendocino Coast Botanical Gardens, the Resource Conservation District of Mendocino, and the Wild—excuse uh, me—the Willits Bypass Project that they're facilitating. Peregrine Audubon Society, Redwood Coast Land Conservancy, the Point Arena Lighthouse. Latino Outdoors North Coast, which is really exciting. We finally have a Latino Outdoors in Mendocino County. Sanhedrin Chapter of Inland Mendocino and Lake Counties. Uh, Mendocino County Museum. Redwood Valley Outdoor Education Project. And of course, the whole City Nature Challenge is sponsored and organized by the California Academy of Sciences and the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles County. So it's really exciting. All these organizations can come together, work together and do something that's global in scale. Uh, Like I said, we hope to get more folks on board next year.
0: So for those who are listening who are feeling like, darn it, I just missed the chance to be involved in this and make my observation, since we, when this program airs, we will be at the end of the observation period. Can folks still get
1: involved in this City Nature Challenge in some way? Well, we've got one more day of observations, but you're going to have missed that by the time you're hearing this recording. What we could use help with, though, is going in and verifying the observations. So if you are someone that has, um, you know, a particular specialty, you know, a lot of plants or animals in your area, uh, you can go ahead onto inaturalist.org and search for the Mendocino County City Nature Challenge 2021 project. Uh, There's a project tab up at the top and you just search for projects. You can join that project once you've logged in and made an account. And you can actually go in and help us verify what we've seen. So we have of those, you know, 1500 some odd observations, uh, people need to go in and verify them. And that verification period lasts until May 9th. So we would love help with that. Um, If you're not able to do that, that's fine. We just encourage you to download the iNaturalist app. Um, and make some observations in your neighborhood it's a lot of fun I think you'll learn a lot if you're worried about the geo reference um, that it's showing you know where you're taking your observation if you don't want people to know you're taking observations in your yard that's okay you can obscure observations you don't have to let people know where you're observing from Um, but I think you'll have a really good time uh, checking out the nature around you and seeing what other people are seeing here. It's kind of fun to start using
0: iNaturalist even just after the City Nature Challenge because there's so many observations that have just gone up, and even just looking on the page of the City Nature Challenge right now, it gives you a great kind of capsule version of what's out there in our county right
1: now. That's right, and for organizations like yours, Hannah, it's really nice to have a project. Um, You have a 15, or I'm sorry, a 5,000 acre piece of land here, and you know, you've been using iNaturalist for almost 10 years here, and so you have a really good catalog of what is here, what is coming, what came after the fires, what is absent. Um, It's a really nice uh, record of nature.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting actually thinking of this in that um, what you were starting off talking about that participatory science, and I think often we We may question, well, what's the value? You know, I feel like I did something. I took a picture of a species, but I'm not really sure that was useful for science. But I do know that working here, I see the benefit because when we have different scientists coming to consider whether they would like to do a research project here, They can go online and they can see all the observations that have been made and they know what species we have here. And that's going to help them in making a decision about whether this is a good place for their fieldwork or not. So um, I know from real experience here, um, times when I've I've been able to share that and that it's become useful. And I think you yourself, am I right in thinking you've had um, an observation or maybe more than that, where somebody's contacted you and you've realized, oh yeah, that really was useful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was down in Santa Clara County a couple of years ago and I took a picture of a dead mola mola that was on the beach and... Uh, What's a I, mola mola? Oh, Sorry. good question. That's a, I, I think it's a sunfish and the sunfish family, but it's a big, chunky fat round weird looking fish (laughs) i don't know how to explain it they're very strange they put their fin out of the water and they look like they're waving hello to you in the ocean Um, this one unfortunately was not alive any longer but i took some pictures of it and i uploaded it and I got contacted by the researchers a couple years later. It turns out that mola mola was probably some anomaly that hadn't been seen in North America since like 1902. And they were writing uh, papers about mola molas and the shift in range or these anomalies that people were starting to see in different places. And there's a lot of a lot of stories about that. Um, you know, you're just you're somewhere, maybe you're not used to being, and you see something, and someone else is searching for that, and they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. And they contact you, so it's kind of a fun aspect of it I've also um, met people from the river otter ecology project up in Humboldt we had a river otter die on our property and I documented that and they were very curious uh, to get those pictures and um, to add that to their database so uh, you know it really is a neat network of people that are that are going in and and doing these observations and, and actually conducting research through them. That's absolutely awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for sharing your
0: time and also for being um, such a source of energy behind this City Nature Challenge um, and partnering these organizations, making sure that everybody's aware of this. And we're really excited um, to see what's gonna happen for this next year. Um, Just on a parting note, um, in your role with the California Naturalist Program, is there anything that you'd like our listeners to be hearing about coming up for the rest of this year?
1: You know, right now we're doing a California Conservation Corps-specific course. Um, So hallelujah for the California Conservation Corps. They've made such a huge difference in Mendocino County, and we're excited to be hosting them this week. Um, And getting them certified. We don't have any local courses after that, um, but we may be hosting a UC Climate Stewards course in the near future uh, in inland Mendocino. So stay tuned for that. We're just kind of getting back into our in-person programming. Um, So I know we're going to have some Project Learning Tree Educator workshops this summer that are virtual. And, uh, yeah, we we list everything that we do in Mendocino County on the Hopland Research and Extension Center webpage, So uh, you can find future training opportunities there. Awesome. Um, and apologies for all of the nature sounds. We have some great
0: nature sounds and then we have some very agricultural sounds like machinery and farm dogs going by. So thanks um, to the participation of those creatures, too. <laughs> Brooke, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us today. All right. Thank you, Hannah. Hope to see everyone out on the trail. Well, thanks so much to Brooke for introducing us to the City Nature Challenge. Remember, if you'd like to see those observations, visit inaturalist.org and search for the City Nature Challenge, Mendocino County 2021. There's also a Facebook page that you can see some of the events and observations on. So again, just go on Facebook and search for the City Nature Challenge Mendocino County 2021. Now we're going to hear a little more about some of the events that took place out on the coast now with Roxanne Perkins, who's the Marketing Manager at the Mendocino Coast Botanic Gardens. I started by asking Roxanne about what inspired her to get involved with the bio blitzing and joining the City Nature Challenge.
2: Sure. Uh, Working at the botanical gardens, I always find it very important to get people to engage with nature more so than just coming in and turning around and taking a picture with a pretty flower next to their head. Uh, so I'm always looking for ways to engage people with what they're seeing um, and learn a little bit more about it, that being interpretive signs or various activities. Right now, you've got a kids activity that helps get kids connected with nature and bring their parents along, so hopefully they get into it as well. I think it just creates a nice relationship with nature, and uh, it was actually our executive director, Molly Barker's, uh idea to do a bio blitz we did our first bio blitz at the gardens back in 2019 uh, it was a lot of fun uh, we were going to do one in 2020 in April and that did not happen and that's how I found city nature challenge because I was looking for something some way to get people out there and engage to so the gardens was actually closed at the time we were going to be doing our bio blitz so I was like well get out there anyways wherever you are and so I found that there was no City Nature Challenge for Mendocino County and signed us up.
0: (laughs) Well, we really appreciate that, Roxanne, because you guys at the Botanic Gardens have been um, one of the driving forces for keeping that bio-blitzing attitude going in our county. Um, So we are just, in fact, I think today is the last day of the observation period for the City Nature Challenge. I'm really interested in Am I right in thinking maybe you are somebody who you yourself likes to go out and do some
2: observations? Absolutely. I went out this weekend. I went to a couple parks. I went to, uh, I think, Big River and Carricker, took a bunch of pictures. My husband wondered why I was taking pictures of every little thing. And I was like, I'm (laughs) bio-blitzing. And then he understood. (laughs) And him and my daughter waited for me to take pictures of all the plants and flowers we passed. That's brilliant. Uh, I also use it at the gardens. I just, I find it incredibly valuable because I really like to know what it is that I'm looking at. Um, and so I'll snap pictures constantly and you can upload it later and it still saves the date, which is lovely. I actually, after this, I'm probably going to run out into the gardens and do a little bit of observation as the Zeno Coast Botanical Gardens. Uh, we do have a challenge right now. Uh, if you are able to make it to the gardens before the end of the day and snap some photos of some natural things, you could win a gift basket uh, which is we're giving a prize to the most observations made within the boundaries of the gardens during the city nature challenge time period oh,
0: that's fantastic and uh, so i'm i'm interested have you had lots of folks who are um joining in getting involved coming out and taking observations
2: i haven't had much of a chance to look uh but it doesn't look like quite yet so the chances you could win a gift basket are pretty high if you get here today <laughs> excellent
0: you are listening to the Ecology Hour on KZYX Mendocino County Community Radio, and the time is seven thirty p.m. Um, I'm intrigued about again looking at your experience of, of using this iNaturalist app. Um, so, um, the shifting from being interested in plants, which it sounds like that's something you've always had an interest in, to actually wanting to take pictures and, and, and then using this app. It, what is it about the app that you find is really exciting for you?
2: I think it's that immediate hint as to what it is you might be looking at. It's very good at finding even the most obscure little pictures. If you didn't take the best photo, if you don't have a picture of the foliage, the flower and the structure of it, it's, it'll still find that. I, the one that amazed me recently was I took a picture of a caterpillar a black fuzzy caterpillar with orange little speckles down its back and it immediately figured out which butterfly it might be. And I selected that as identify and I put it out there to the world and now I'll see if that's correct. And now I'll know what kind of caterpillars were all over the place in the character.
0: Awesome, oh, that's really cool. Um, so, okay, just a quick last question for you. Um, what's been your favorite observation you've made over the City Nature Challenge?
2: During the City Nature Challenge?
0: uh you know what you can give us one from the city nature challenge and then let's hear your all-time favorite too
2: (laughs) well i'm hoping that when i head out into the gardens right now i'll make my favorite observation but this weekend there were these really interesting purple flowers out at big river that i'd never noticed before it's uh, there's these wildflowers there's some that i've never seen until this year because they're just so time specific if you don't go to that spot during that time um there's some really nice ones over by uh pudding creek as well that i'd never noticed before so those are probably my favorite during the city nature challenge my mm-hmm. favorite outside of that there's probably a couple it's i love to find animals it's a little bit more of a challenge so i found a stoat that was actually at mm-hmm. the gardens
1: wow that was how pretty cool fun when i
2: got to verify it so it was a i guess it was a long-tailed weasel or aka stoat <laughs> <S-T-O-8>. <laughs> They're hard to photograph. and then i also saw a bald eagle um, and it's probably still nesting over there. So if you are able to go down to the seaside beach just past 10 mile, there's a bald eagle that's nesting there and you have a pretty good chance of seeing him dive down into the ocean and I had my zoom lens because I saw him the day before so I went back with my zoom lens and my camera and I uploaded them the old fashioned way on the computer. Yes, it's not that old fashioned. And <laughs> that's, that's my favorite observation that I have on my personal. My uh,
0: that, that is absolutely fantastic. And then um, Roxanne, just before we finish up, I know that you did mention that you have a kids activity. I'm interested. What other things do you have coming up? We're kind of moving into stages where we're opening things up again. What sure. things do you have coming up that you'd love to share with listeners?
2: Well, if we have time, I'd love to do an actual bio blitz with, uh, experts on site at the gardens but that might not be until next spring because we've got a pretty full roster here we've got our major art event coming up art in the gardens in august and we're spreading that out to be three days and it's going to include a lot of education nature-based but art-based as well like nature journaling is another course that we have coming up Uh, we've got one in the beginning of may and then we'll have another nature journaling workshop in september i believe. Um, And then this the kids activity that I mentioned is called sprouts and it's an ongoing program Uh, it's doing really well so far so we're just going to keep going with it change the activity once every month or two months. And it's basically it's a handouts that are available in English and Spanish free with regular admission we've also got uh, complimentary sprouts tickets that we're spreading around throughout the county to different schools and nonprofits so keep an eye out for those because that is free admission to come in and do that activity with your kids. Um, and right now it is Pacific Coast tree ID, and so kids get to learn how to use a dichotomous key, Uh, and that's a really neat one, and there's trees marked all over the gardens, and you go find the tree, look at your dichotomous key, and decide between the two options on every page, and then you narrow into what kind of tree it is you're looking at.
0: Oh, that that is fantastic. I am planning on bringing my kids out to do that. That sounds absolutely absolutely brilliant.
2: Yeah. That one's through the end of May. And then I think we're going to do um, Colors in Nature next, which is a really anyone of any age, it's a really fun activity. Just actually take paint chips out into the gardens and try to find as many colors as you can. It's harder than you'd think. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's surprising. And then bird watching is a really popular one. We have some really nice binoculars you can check out. And That's there's 180 species of birds in the garden. So. Wow, Go goodness me. <laughs>
0: Well, Roxanne, thank you for sharing all your activities. Thank you for all the work that you do at the um, Botanic Gardens there. I know it's an absolutely fantastic place. And thanks for being involved and and helping to coordinate the City Nature Challenge in Mendocino County this year. Um, And I know that next year, um, we are definitely up for doing it again. And we hope that you are too. And we'll look forward to um, even more observations and uh, different people getting involved.
2: Absolutely. Everybody go get outside and see what you can see.
0: Well, thank you so much to Roxanne Perkins, the marketing manager from the Mendocino Coast Botanic Gardens. What a great resource for our community. Um, And I do encourage you, as as I'm actually going to, to head out there, enjoy some of their events. Even during our um, pandemic period, um, spending time outside in a place like the Botanic Gardens is just a fabulous way to enjoy nature. Now we're going to finish off tonight by visiting and revisiting actually with Mona Latil Quinn who is a Grizzly Corps fellow with the UC Hopland Research and Extension Center and Mona's going to give us an update from this new AmeriCorps fellowship and we're going to learn how she has been involved in community science and the City Nature Challenge. I started by asking Madrona to explain what Grizzly Corps is. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Grizzly Corps
3: is an AmeriCorps program that's being hosted for the first time this year through UC Berkeley, um, Center for Law, Energy, and Environment. And there's 20 members scattered across the state this year. There'll be more next year. The program's growing and continuing, so that's awesome. And I'm actually going to be doing another year, another term. So. The terms are 11 months long, and they focus on increasing rural climate resilience in California. So it's good work to be doing, I think.
0: So my my cheer of excitement then was because I know that you're going to choose to do a second term, and we're going to enjoy your company here again at the Hopland Research and Extension Center. Thanks. And I'm excited also because I think that'll also mean that we'll have more opportunities for you to be sharing out on the Ecology Hour so mm-hmm. thank you for what you've done so far and looking forward to what we hear um, in the next year. Me too. So Mona I'd love to hear some of the projects that you've really enjoyed doing in these first it's about eight months that you've been here now what kinds of things have you really connected to and got a kick out of?
3: Well, something I was just working on right before we started this interview was writing about all the surveys I've been doing this year at HREC, just doing things like measuring how much grass is left at the end of a season, so going out and clipping dry grass and recording all that data, which you can extrapolate from that how many animals that pasture could carry and feed well. So that's been interesting to learn about Um, and and other surveys where I'm measuring how compacted the soil is after the sheep have been there and how well the water can flow down into the soil. So that's been a nice part of the job to be able to get out on the site and um, do some science.
0: (laughs) Wow. So you've had to go and, in many cases, you're learning new techniques. Mm -hmm. So tell me some things about what does it feel like to go out and be... I don't know, looking at the grasses or the soil compaction. I have no idea. What does that involve?
3: Every single time I'm surprised at the complexity and at how like interesting it is, because I'm interested at the beginning. But, for example, with soil compaction, there's this probe that you push down into the soil, and I understood that the soil had different levels in it and that certain areas would be more compacted than others but it just becomes so so tactile when you're actually pushing a probe down in and you feel it like hit a clay pan or break through a gopher hole or something um yeah and then putting the infiltrometer and watching that
0: that sounds exciting what is an infiltrometer
3: yes this is a tool that people use to measure the rate of water infiltration which is just basically how quickly water can flow into the soil and it varies so much just from spot to spot like five feet away from each other the water would either flash down into the soil really fast or it would just barely go in at all and I was like what's happening here just sitting there watching it (laughs) Uh, it try to flow in was really interesting
0: and Um, I guess for the what what often we'd be keen to see is Soil that will hold the moisture right to some extent.
3: I guess it depends on the soil type you're in, what you would expect or hope mm-hmm. for. Um, I think we prefer that it flows nice and easy. So if it's not flowing in at all, the, the soil is really dense, most likely, and it's not flowing in very well. Um, if it's flowing in really fast, maybe it's kind of dry or maybe it's kind of sandy. Mm-hmm. Um I don't have a very refined take on this. I no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. But having
0: done it, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to hear your very real experiences of what that physically feels like mm-hmm. and what you've learned about the soils, um, right. just that process. So that's,
3: yeah. that's awesome. And then I tried to do a species composition survey, and then I went back to the office and called in some help because the, I had gained such an appreciation for how many grasses there are. <laughs> And realized that I either need um, a human field guide or a more detailed written field guide
0: because, um... The world it, of grasses is it's huge. It's the world of yes. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because often we just talk about grasses. Oh, there's some grass over there. Mm-hmm. But when you actually start getting down to understanding all the species that we have, mm-hmm. um, it's huge.
3: There are so many. And they look a little bit similar sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to going out with one of our long-time volunteers here uh, with Chuck Vaughn, and he's so graciously volunteered to help with that so that'll be a, a
0: good learning experience for me. That's really exciting. So you're at a point now where you're coming kind of to the close of your first year and mm-hmm. thinking ahead to the second year. Are there projects that you're excited about? I'm guessing that you'll be carrying on on some of the projects you've mm-hmm. worked on already but what kinds of things are you really excited about for the second year?
3: Well, I'll get to do the surveys all over again. So that's something to look forward to. Each year, the Grizzly Corps members will get to do that. And so I'm going to write up a detailed survey plan for whoever comes next. And that'll be interesting to to leave a legacy of some kind mm-hmm. in that way. Um, and then we've been doing the carbon farm plan all year.
0: So and... explain to me a little bit about that, because I know we mm-hmm. covered it briefly in the first show that you were on. But what, what on earth is a carbon farm plan?
3: great question. And that was a question I would have had before this
0: year. (laughs) Um, it's a
3: management plan for farms or rangeland where you look at all the different parts of the farm and all the different opportunities that the farm has to sequester more carbon. So if you're looking at a big open blank, um, cornfield, my mind's going back to Tennessee. (laughs) Um, you know, you could always put in a hedgerow there, and that would be good for pollinators, but it also would sequester carbon in those plants um Maybe you want to mulch under the under the plants, and that would not only trap more moisture and keep the soil cooler as temperatures get warmer, but also the mulch has carbon in it and so there are tools you can use um there's one called the comet planner. Mm-hmm like a comet in the, in the stars, Mm -hmm. um, and it'll help you figure out just about how much carbon that actually sequesters, and it's been interesting to learn how much of a difference that would make if all of the land that's in agricultural production were thinking more about where can we, where can we draw down and store some carbon, Mm -hmm. um, what are the opportunities for doing some critical area plantings, or putting, stream buffers in um, which they, like I said, they m- often have multiple benefits um, for habitat, for, for pollinators, birds, mm-hmm. mammals um, and they improve water
0: quality a lot of the time. So. Sounds It sounds like a really awesome plan. It sounds mm-hmm. like the kind of thing that every piece of land could benefit mm-hmm. from, managed piece of land could benefit from. Um, you're in this kind of unique position of working with a piece of land which is owned by the university mm-hmm. could another farmer or land manager access support to work on something like this and how would they do- go about doing that
3: absolutely there's so many uh helpful programs that i've just been introduced to this year that um people could look up and get engaged with um we're in a fiber shed cohort where a bunch of different people are doing a carbon farm plan and we meet once a month and um, there are these videos that are really helpful they send out and you kind of watch them beforehand and then you as, as you go along you write your plan and each month we talk about a different aspect of the plan so um, and then it even goes into other helpful things for farmers and, uh, and producers like marketing and budgeting and different things like that wow. so it's kind of a holistic approach and that's the fiber shed um, carbon farm plan cohort.
0: And, and it's fiber shared. Um, they're a, they're a, a nonprofit.
3: I believe so. Yeah, and they are really focused on sustainable production of fibers and food. So um, you can go to the fiber shared marketplace and find things that were made in California with like Californian sheep wool and different things like that. Um, because uh, you know, there's so much waste in our production systems, especially for fibers. There's so much
0: fossil fuels in our fibers. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed having a conversation with you just the other day about the fact you're working hard on trying to wear more um, natural fibers and how hard that is to find. so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess I could tell the story
3: again on the radio, but I just kind of had this mind-blown moment where I realized most of my wardrobe is plastic.
0: Ah! It doesn't feel <laughs> like it. It doesn't feel like a no. plastic bottle, but it's the reality, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that, then I
3: yeah. went to the thrift store, and I realized my method is to just kind of thumb through and find a texture that feels nice. And I kept. Um, then I I went and looking at all the tags, and every single tag was saying acrylic, nylon, polyester, <laughs> and then it was the rougher stuff, for the stuff that wasn't mm-hmm. as like fleecy and soft. And I would find linen,
0: mm-hmm. or you know,
3: a hundred percent cotton was a little bit, um, a little bit. Rougher, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that's part of why we like to wear plastics is they're mm-hmm. kind of um softer sometimes. But,
0: but for durability I think often those natural fibers and they have many other Right. benefits, right? They do. But, yeah. And
3: I mean, the ultimate benefit is that the microplastics won't end up in our bloodstreams eventually. Yeah. Um, although I'm wearing a cashmere sweater right now, so I shouldn't say natural fibers are rougher because this cashmere is pretty
0: soft. That <laughs> incredibly soft. Yeah. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to that wonderful nonprofit, um, Fibershed.org is their website Um it's definitely worth checking out for mm-hmm. folks who are interested, either in um, considering about where you get your fibers for your clothes from or um, if you're somebody who is working on um, managing land and might be interested in getting support on this carbon farm plan, um, that sounds like a huge project. And we talked about this last time. It would be cool to do a show. I think we'll return to that as a mm-hmm. topic for the Ecology Hour. But since we only have a set period of time today, and I know we're packing in a lot um, because you've taken, you've got involved in so many things here in the last year, Mona. Um, even through COVID, which, of course, you joined really at the start of the lockdown, which made it an interesting time to get involved. Um, you've still been involved in doing outreach and education mm-hmm. here. And we're stepping slowly out into having more in-person opportunities now. Mm-hmm. Um, could you give us any examples of things that you've either enjoyed or are looking forward to in that area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're talking a bit about the City Nature
3: Challenge last weekend in this show. And last weekend, we had a Girl Scout troop come out and do a bio blitz at HREC, which was the sweetest and most wholesome thing to do on the City Nature Challenge weekend. I loved it. Um, So there were a group of little girls that came out, and we took them on a walk through the woods and introduced them to the idea of a nature scavenger hunt, which was how we termed it for them. And we had little sheets that showed them examples of things that they would likely see, and we called it bingo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, it was amazing how quick every single one of them got really engaged and were searching around and looking under rocks and sticks and, like, really looking at the bark of trees and really observing each flower and noticing the differences in it. Um And they were really excited about bingo, too. Like, they definitely, there were several bingo winners that day. We found a lot of different animals. And then at the end of the walk, we get to these cover boards where um, there are little pieces of plywood left out and critters like to get underneath them. And so if you lift them up, you could find any number of things. And we were so lucky because even though it's drying out a little bit, there was still a blue-tailed skink.
0: Do you know the exact name of that guy? You know, I've been looking it at um, Western Skink. Uh-huh. A, a lot of things are the Western something or other. So yeah. Western Skink or um, Stilton Skink, I think is the other. But I should double check on that one. I know I use my iNaturalist app to try and figure it out. But mm-hmm. they're the beautiful um, lizards you see with these gorgeous iridescent blue mm-hmm. tails.
3: Yeah. And do they have yellow on them at all? I Some think it do. depends.
0: You know, one thing that I enjoyed looking up, and again, this was just because of the joy of our naturalist and getting excited about something that we noticed when we were going out with folks that some have this incredibly vibrant blue tail and other ones have like a big brown tail. Mm-hmm. And I was intrigued whether it was that males and females. And um, I learned that actually the younger ones have the bright, bright blue tail. And when they get to adults, they actually turn into having the browner tail. So oh. yeah, I don't know, but everything you find, you come with a question, right? Yeah. You can
3: keep going deeper for sure. Um, but it's always so exciting when you see that blue tail flash. And so all the little girls got to see the blue tailed skink first and they were like, Wah! um, and then they were like cover board to cover board. And so excited after that, really, really looking harder, um, after we saw that first little skink and we saw a red racer, a little tiny snake.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the, the girls, um, immediately, I think one of the girls even knew and was calling it a red racer, um. I know we looked it up afterwards and, um, as is often the case with common names, um, they can be a little confusing. So I think a lot of people know this snake as a red racer and, um, it was actually a snake snake called a ringneck snake, Mm. which they found with a fabulous tummy that was like such bright colors, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm.
3: They knew more common names for animals than I did at that point because I didn't, hadn't seen that snake yet here. Um, and it was so small and so cute. And yeah, we kept trying to move leaves and be able to see it. And finally, we got a really good view of it. it and so exciting to just see them really engaged and like digging in the leaf litter it was cool. Um, and then also, can't leave out the Western Forest scorpions, which I don't know if you guys knew this, but if you get a black light and shine it on a scorpion, they glow neon blue. Um,
0: I had never seen that before.
3: Kudos to Hannah for bringing the black lights. Yeah, that was like the cherry on top.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Makes a scorpion turns it into this whole new glamorous thing. It it's was absolutely spectacular. So awesome, yeah. So Madrona, um, you know, I know we got a kick both you and I of working with this group mm. on the City Nature Challenge, and I know something that you found really interesting about this project and and have a passion for otherwise is this concept that we have started off the program with of community science, mm-hmm. citizen science, or participatory science, as, as Brooke explained it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that gets you excited about that kind of science? Well, I geek out about this a
3: lot, and so I'm really excited about it for multiple reasons, but I guess the... Possibly the most exciting thing for me is that it changes the culture of science and it brings a lot more people to the table. Like there's so many people out there that have really um, important and useful observations for the scientific process. And it's really awesome how technology has allowed us to all be able to contribute to that because if just scientists who have chosen to spend their working hours trying to collect this kind of data, were out there observing and and methodically collecting observations about what's changing in the world how different creatures are doing um, they would not be able to see nearly as much as they do whenever people you know in private landowners and and places where the scientists can't even go if the people that are all over the world are able to observe um, not only are they included not only do they inevitably learn more about their habitats by making these kind of detailed methodical observations but Um, it also drastically increases the amount that we're able to see and record um, which I think is really really important especially considering climate change because things are changing fast and I think um, it's it's a good idea for us to keep our eyes open and really watch what's happening so that um, you know we can do our best to steward our environments and
0: keep as much biodiversity as we can so
3: Mm. that's what excites me about it yeah
0: yeah it's pretty I, I love that concept of kind of bringing this feeling of equity to science that we all Mm -hmm. have a part in it Mm -hmm. and that I think many of us hear science and feel like it's not something we're allowed to be involved in but this flips that completely Mm -hmm. Um, or that you're not qualified or something but actually scientists really value
3: the data sets that come out of these community science platforms and it's really helpful it's like like things they couldn't do on their own nearly as much um so yeah it definitely isn't this just you know, big brain mind in a lab, you know, doing some kind of weird things with chemicals, like, a lot of times all we need to do is just note, like, oh, I saw the first of this kind of butterfly today, and that's really helpful, (laughs) like, we really want to know when, when the butterflies are coming, when the flowers are popping out, and all those different things, um, that you can see right outside your door, and things you can do with little kids, too, Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really helpful for the scientific process, so...
0: So I know that you've been through a couple of different training. um, Well, I know you've been through a lot of different training, but a couple of things that I know of. One is the California Naturalist Program that Mm we started off also talking about in this program. And you're currently taking the Climate Stewards class. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm intrigued from those programs and from the others you've been involved in. Are there particular community science projects that you've got, I don't know, that you'd love to share with folks? We've talked a bit about City Nature Challenge, which is one way, and iNaturalist, mm-hmm. but is there anything else, a particular program that you think folks, our listeners tonight, should go and Google immediately after this?
3: Sure. There's another app that's pretty cool called iSeeChange, um, which iNaturalist is just, you know, whatever you want to observe, um, whether it's something that's really common in your in your habitat and it's doing its normal thing, and you um, you just love it and you want to note that it's near you. Um, So iNaturalist is more of a general app, but Change is is more focused on things that you see and go, huh, I think that's a little different this year than it ever has been before. Or, you know, I think that this flower popped out way earlier than it usually does. Or, um, you know, this tree in my yard is flowering out, but we're going to have more snow soon, so maybe this tree shouldn't be doing that. Um, That's the kind of thing you would record on Change um so that's a more targeted data set for scientists to be able to go in and look and see these time-stamped photos where they're like huh oh yeah Yeah. all across this whole place in california this whole um this population of trees is flowering out a month earlier than usual and that's just you know very notable
0: (laughs) yeah no, that's really interesting because i think we all now i mean certainly this year with the drought that we're facing i'm sure every one of our listeners has had an experience where they thought gosh Normally, at this time of year, I would see water here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Now, I'm feeling that about our creek, our seasonal creek here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suspect every every one of our listeners has a story like that. Mm-hmm. And I see Change as, a, as an app that they could be using to, right. to, to share that. Yeah, and
3: imagine if all of those things were just in one place, mm-hmm. and someone who wanted to study it was able to just go there mm-hmm. and pick a theme and have all this data without them having to to find somewhere to get money, to go out and observe and like be there at the right time to see it and everything. Um, Yeah, it's really, really helpful to contribute to things like that.
0: Mona, it's so fantastic having you here and um, sharing your passion. And we're so excited to have you here for another year and to continue to add to the work here. And also the um, next ecology hour, I'm hoping that we'll be able to focus on carbon farming, and and get all the nitty-gritty of how that works out.
3: All right, I'm into it, yeah. Great.
0: Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, anytime. Well, thanks so much to Mona, Latil, Quinn, um, for sharing her experiences of the AmeriCorps program Grizzly Corps with us, and to all of our guests on this evening's Ecology Hour. Remember, you can still join in with the City Nature Challenge, by taking a look online for iNaturalist and searching for City Nature Challenge, Mendocino County, 2021. And just because the observation period for the City Nature Challenge is closed, that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy going out in nature and making observations on iNaturalist or with a notepad or just for your own memories and enjoyment. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next month. Please remember that if you have any comments about the programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit us at our Facebook page, at the Hopland Research and Extension Centre, or find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Hopland Rec. Or you could always send me an email, hbird, H-B-I-R-D, at U C A n-r dot e-d-u. We'd love to hear from you and find out what you'd like to be hearing on the Ecology Hour into the future.